This is Drew here. I want to welcome you all to a brand new episode of Phoenix Down. This is Phoenix Down, episode number 61.1. And we're continuing our read of Ready Player One. Um, like we said last episode, this is the first book we've ever done. Um, enjoying it for the most part so far. Um, we did have some issues with the way Mr. Klein likes to tell his stories i do actually have some more issues this this time as well <laughs> i most certainly do um and i don't want to i don't want to come off like i'm hating this book because for the most part i can't put it down yep um but man so we'll get into it um but let's just talk about where we left off we left off kind of on a slight cliffhanger of uh, Wade is going to log into the Oasis to then talk to the leader of IOI. Um, they have a proposition for him. Obviously, they want him to work for the uh, the company since he is number one on the scoreboard. Um, and at this point, only Gunter's know the locations of like the copper key and stuff like that or, or am i wrong uh yeah i think at that i think at that point yeah yeah um or no no right up until so basically there was iraq was the was the leaky faucet here right and i forgot to mention iraq didn't i said iraq was on the leaderboard but he never got on the leaderboard as far as i know at least mm. it was never mentioned. It was uh, the cause of the Sixers. Yeah. Figuring things out at least. Yeah. Uh, what, what it was was they, they couldn't, well, no, they, they knew where the gate was. I think they just couldn't find the jade key or they, or yeah, they, they didn't know where to get the jade key, which was the next thing on the list. So, um, I know you mentioned Matt, you'd already read this part, um, um, for the last recording, and you said that you didn't. It further solidified the fact that you don't like Wade. Um, from the way he acts at this meeting. Yep. So uh, he goes to the meeting, which is on. It's it's inside the Oasis, but also in their own world, the IOI world, where they have their home base. Uh, the first thing he was going to do was, was tell them to, you know, fuck off, 
uh, and record it and then put it on YouTube, but they don't allow recording on this world. It's been blocked, so he can't record everything that happens. Uh, but he still wants to go in there and, and mess with them. And uh, he meets up with the, I, I wouldn't say the leader of IOI. He's more of just like the main enforcer of IOI. Is that right? Yeah, I mean, in my mind, he was like the CEO. Like he may not, he may not be the most powerful person, but he's like maybe the face, right, of the Sixers. And uh, for the life of me, I can't remember this guy's name. Nolan Sorrento. Sorrento. There you go. And I think at this point they don't have even the copper key. I'm pretty sure they do. Because uh, I thought it was after – I thought that's what they needed him for was to get the copper key. That's why they were trying to recruit him. Hmm. That could be it. I don't know. It's been a long time since I read that. But anyway, he goes to meet up with uh, Sorrento and talk to him about possibly joining the Sixers. Um, and they offer him – a significant amount of in-game money, which obviously can be converted into real money. Um, I, I'm pretty sure, I think it's been stated that Oasis money is worth more than any other currency in the world. Yeah, or, or at least more stable or more reliable. Right. Um, I think they offered him, what, $5 million? Yep, $5 million. Uh, to tell him to tell them the other yeah, location of the copper key. Yeah, that was sort of the second one. Basically, he makes three offers, right? The yeah. first offer is just come work for us. Yeah, and he basically says thanks, but no thanks. You're creepy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, the second offer is what was this? the second offer was allowing him to. Uh, it, the second offer was just uh, so basically this, the first offer was work for us. We'll give you everything. Yeah, you know, give you the corner office. You know, you will become in charge. Basically, this will be. You know, you can do whatever you want. Carte blanche to do whatever you want. All the money, all the minions, whatever you need. That's it. That you know, that's offer one. You know, here's the golden job. Yeah. Then when he says no, he says, "How about we pay you five million? All you do is give us a walkthrough of the first gate. Right. That's it. You know, and then and then you're free to go off and do your own stuff. You don't have to lead us to the end." Just get us through the first gate, and we'll give you five million. Yeah, clamp credits. And um, he then gives a counter offer, which is uh, basically um, <laughs> he does he'll join them if they fire Sorrento, give him his job, and um, I can't remember what the other condition was. It was something ludicrous. Yeah. And uh, he, the way he gathered, Sorrento was obviously talking to like people above him or maybe like a board or something like that. And they said that they're willing to take his offer. I th yeah, I think that was after the first offer. Yeah. And they're like, nah, we won't do that. Now, he, or, or Wade's like, I, I changed my mind. I'm not going to do that. Yep. And so the third and final offer was, okay, you tell us where the copper key is. You also take us through through the first gate. And we don't end up killing you. Yeah, we'll still give you the $5 million. <laughs> and, but 
uh, and it's but the the offer is told in a pretty good way because uh, he's like, yeah, we're done here, and it says uh, since nobody knows who his real name is, he says, sit down, Wade, and he's like, did he just use my real yeah. fucking name? <laughs> and I like, like I like that line because it's not quite as blatant. It's just like holy shit. Yeah, I might be in over my head here. And so uh, he then says, yeah, we know who you are because you uh, have been enrolled in online classes through the Oasis. And uh, we know exactly who you are. We know where you live because they have to send a report card to your house. Um, and they even show him video feed of his stack. And yep. says that uh, we have bombs planted all over this place. And we're going to blow it up if you don't do what we tell you. Yeah, so very simply, help us or die. <laughs> yeah. To which he's like pretty much going nuts in his own mind saying, are they bluffing? Are they serious? Uh, I'm not there, so they're not going to kill me. I'm in my hideout. Um, but then he realizes like, my, my aunt's there, her boyfriend, a ton of people live in the same stack as me. As well as the sweet old lady. And um, he doesn't know what to do. They say if he tries to log out, it will automatically will automatically just blow it up. And so um, at that point, he doesn't know what to do. But he decides through, through the, you know, through reasoning, either they're bluffing or I'm still safe. Which is kind of a shitty thing to think about. I think he just said they were bluffing because I don't think if he thought they were actually had bombs and would do it, even Dickhead Wade, I don't think was would be such a dick that he would let his aunt and you know Miss Marple, whatever her name is, get blown up. I, I'm pretty sure he just thought they were bluffing completely, yeah. Miss Gilmore. So he Miss Marple. <laughs> um. So he um. He logs out, and for probably, I think he said like a minute passed, nothing happened. But then he heard the explosion and everything shaking around him, and sure enough, IOI blew up his stack, killing, I wouldn't say thousands, how many people were in that? Dozens at least. Dozens of people at least, yeah. yeah. Maybe a hundred people may have died in that. Yeah. Uh, because not only did they blow up his stack and his house, but other stacks started crumbling down with it. Um, he didn't know, you know, exactly how many people died. But uh, when he went to the wreckage, there was obviously no one came away from that. Um, yeah. And that's <laughs> when he freaks out about, holy shit, somebody just tried to kill me. Yes, yeah, this game just got to level two. Well, yeah, that's well, he, he mentioned. He mentioned um, to Sorrento, he's like, "You're really gonna fucking kill me over a video game contest?" And Sorrento's like, "It's way more than a video game contest, and you fucking know it." Yeah, don't be naive. Yeah, <laughs> this is billions and billions of dollars on top of holding the you know, all the assets and the rights to the Oasis which generates billions of dollars on top of it. You basically control the world. Yep. And the future. So, um, 
at that point it's time to lay low because nobody knows if he's alive or not. Everybody thinks he's dead. Um, and luckily he has an escape route. Uh, he did get a good amount of money from his endorsement deals that he did. So he used that money to uh, buy an apartment uh, in Columbus, Ohio, which is where he moved to. Um, I don't know how far away Oklahoma City is to Columbus. Uh, it's a fair distance, maybe 12-hour drive. Yeah. I think he said it took him like three days to get there through bus because he took a bus. Yeah, that seems about right. Yeah, he got an apartment. And used a lot of that money to upgrade uh, his rig and all of his um, equipment and stuff like that. And then we get to the chapter. Well, no, th- that chapter comes later. After that, yeah. he, he he then has the big meeting with everybody. Yeah. He, so now, basically, he's he's warning all the other high fivers. Yeah. While while the Sixers are descending on Ludus and setting up the force fields around the uh around the hill. Right. So um he uh has a little kind of like a group meeting with uh Artemis um H uh Dido Dido? Dito and Shoto. Dito and Shoto. And it's like, dude, they tried to fucking kill me, and they may be coming after you guys next. So you might want to lay low, make sure nobody knows who you actually are in real life, because they are gunning for all of us. Um, afterwards, is that when he becomes really good buddies with Artemis? Uh... Yeah, so essentially, I think there's another chapter where they just sort of wrap up him leaving. Um, he takes on his new persona. Yeah. And he basically recommits himself to beating the Sixers. And then that's essentially the end of the first part of the book. Right. So he, he basically he just gets up to Columbus and is starting his new life, and that's the end of it. So... At the beginning of his new life, um, him and Artemis become good friends. They hang out a lot. In fact, they hang out so much that they basically stop looking for the Jade Key. Yeah, or at least stop focusing on it. Right. I bet they're still like talking about it and sort of searching, but you know, it used to be what they did like 18 hours a day. Right. So um he becomes really good friends. In fact, he, you know, he's in love with her. Uh he said it multiple times throughout the book. Says it a lot here. Um and it seems like he, he says that Artemis feels the same way about him. Or at least that's how he sees it. Mm-hmm. So they're getting invited. Even though she's even though she's being a bit distant. Yeah, and she keeps saying, you know, you don't, you don't really know me. You if you knew me, know me, yeah, you know, you, you wouldn't, you wouldn't want to be with me the way you say you do. Yeah. So, um, after uh, some time, 
they kind of become an item online. And um, they, you know, obviously, I guess, in according to Wade, or in through Wade's eyes, they are basically online boyfriend-girlfriend. Yep. And he's loving every minute of it. Yep. And he also makes a breakthrough on the Jade Key while they're having their adventures, and he's not really focusing. So he's watching a serial commercial from the 80s, and sees a Captain Crunch commercial and then is reminded of this whistle that was in a Captain Crunch that was able to be used to uh, trick payphones. Mm -hmm. And so that's how that's he think that's what he thinks the whistle is in the clue for the Jade key. Yeah. So it doesn't really go anywhere, but he has a a mini breakthrough. So it says here, uh, the captain conceals the Jade key in a dwelling long neglected, but you can only blow the whistle once the trophies are all collected. Yeah, so that's the captain and the whistle. Yeah. Part of it. So he's got the, he figured out, oh, well, it probably has something to do with this old prize that they gave out to people because uh, one of the world's first hackers was able to hack payphones using the whistle uh, to give him, I guess, basically give him free calls and stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, because the whistle made this high pitched sound that tricked the phones. Um, but they get invited. The next big thing is they get invited to a birthday party uh, for one of the co creators of the Oasis, um, Ogden. Is that how you pronounce it? Yep, Ogden Morrow. Morrow. Um, and uh, they're like, of course we have to fucking go because, you know. It's it's Ogden Morrow, and we're celebrities. We have to be there, even though they know that the Sixers are gun or you know looking for them. And also, this club is weirdly on like a PVP zone, right? This is the this was the place where they were, where both technology and magic are allowed. Yeah. So it's it's risky. Yeah. But they show up. Everybody's oh man, here comes Pars Power. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, they're there, and this, um, this club is kind of like an anti-gravity room? Yeah, I mean, I, I know this isn't at all what it looks like, but all I can think about is the, uh, Mass Effect 2 club. Oh, yeah. If you see the, if you see the trailer, you, you will recognize the club. Oh, really? Yeah, the, the club is in the trailer. Oh, nice. So, um... Uh, yeah, and if you look at the trailer, you will see uh, like Harley Quinn, and uh, uh, there's tons of people. I think Gandalf's in it, stuff like that. Um, there's tons of references in the trailer and stuff like that too. So, but yeah, he goes to the club, and there's uh, the Ogden himself is there logged in as his character, and he is uh, uh, doing some of the DJing. Um. And uh, out of nowhere, while they're trying to enjoy their time dancing and stuff like that, the Sixers blow a hole in the roof and begin attacking everybody. Particularly, they're trying to go for Artemis and Parzival. Yeah, right after he's uh, finally conveyed his love for her. Yeah. And it kind of freaks her out. She's like, no, this this is not right. We shouldn't be doing this. You don't know me. You never really did know me. And she 
doesn't want anything to do with it. Yeah, so their whole like months of relationship come to a head right now in the midst of a battle. Yeah. <laughs> um, luckily, uh, Ogden ain't gonna have any of this shit, and he starts destroying the Sixers and stuff too. Yeah, like all at once he goes nuclear. <laughs> yeah, and is also DJing at the same time. <laughs> Which could be a cool scene. That I actually might want to watch the trailer just to see how if th- that scene probably isn't in it, like the culmination. But the fight is not movie. in the scene. It's in the movie, movie, I'd really like to see this played out in real life. Yeah. Him going like Raiden on everybody. <laughs> uh, but uh, both uh, Artemis and Parzival both escape, uh, but uh, Artemis goes her separate way and uh, doesn't really speak to him anymore. He's tried to, uh, to uh, email her and chat with her and stuff like that. She declines it every time. And he falls into a depression uh, that lasts for months. Yeah, so this this whole part of the book's a little weird because he's got like they kind of gloss over months of time when they're dating. Yeah, and then they have this one event, and then there's months of time where he's depressed. Yeah. So a lot of time happens, but not a lot of things happen. Exactly. And then begins the chapter that I really don't like. Yep, this is one of my one of my two related problems with this middle section that we read. Okay, so let's get into it, Matt. Um, I will describe it as best I can. So it's pretty much everything. It, it's basically like a recap of what's been going on the past couple of months. Uh, Wade has fell into a depression. Uh, he can't talk to anybody. He, he doesn't really contact anybody. He hasn't talked to H in months. Um, doesn't even talk to the pizza delivery guy. Yeah. <laughs> he has locked himself in his apartment, which is apparently like two rooms. It's a bathroom and a just a single bedroom. It's kind of like a hotel room. Yeah, he, a studio. Yeah, he has spray-painted the windows so that he can't see any light. Yeah. And he says he wish he had wishes he had spray painted the mirror in the bathroom so he wouldn't have to see himself. Yeah. And the reason why is because when he went into his depression, he gained a lot of weight. He just sat there and binged eating. Um and it's basically like this is what happened during that time and now I'm getting my life back together, at least that's what he says. Uh, he now has forced himself to do a workout regime before he can even log into Oasis. Um, and uh, he has to burn so many calories. On top of that, it keeps track of how much he eats. And if he eats more, he has to do more working out. Um, his only companion in this is a AI recreation of Max Headroom that talks to him. Um... He has acquired some new equipment, some high-tech gear, uh, particularly a full-body suit that allows him to feel everything inside the Oasis. Um, it um, uses like sensors on the skin and stuff like that, so he can feel pretty much everything that's simulated. Because of that, he now takes showers with a type of soap that removes all body hair. So he looks like a hairless person. 
giant baby. <laughs> yeah, he looks like a giant baby. Uh, he hates the way he looks at himself in the mirror. Um, he he never leaves. So anytime he has food delivered, they put it in a box, which is kind of like a lock box for a door, kind of like how they have in banks sometimes. Yeah, or like an airlock. Yeah, with an airlock and everything. He has to make sure that everything is safe because he never knows if IOI found out where he lives and is trying to poison him. Uh, he lives in a paranoid. He, he lives in a paranoid world where he kind of hates himself, and all he does is stay logged into Oasis the entire time. Now, this chapter is probably about six or seven pages, and it just describes all of this. Oh, and I forgot to mention the the very important part, um, because he was so lonely. He ordered a sex doll <laughs> to which he then goes to brothels in the Oasis and has simulated sex with a sex doll to which he got disgusted with it after a couple of weeks and got rid of it because he said that no matter what, I'm still a virgin. Yep. So he really kind of hates himself here. So... Here's my problem with this chapter. Because I hadn't read this chapter whenever we did the previous episode. But I mentioned mm -hmm. on the previous episode that this is probably going to end up being a cautionary tale on technology. Yeah. And this is the chapter that's kind of like the message in Wally. -E. Yeah. Here's the issue. Is that I had already gathered that from just reading the book. I didn't need a chapter where you then took your message, balled it up into a fist, and then shoved it down my throat. I just felt like I was being yep. force-fed this shit. And I was like, I get it, man. Log off sometimes. You know? Go outside. Yep. This isn't the real world. And, and not only that, like the way like Artemis was talking to him... And talking about, you don't really know me, you, you've never seen me kind of thing. You, you're living in this fantasy world where you think everything's great here, but in the real world it's different. I like it, it, You got it right there, but yet yep. he still gives us this fucking chapter of, I'm fucking a sex doll because I'm lonely. And I'm just like, what the fuck? I was like, really? Did we really need to do this? Yeah, I mean, I had a two-part problem with this. That being the first part, like that it was way too blatant. Yeah. And the second part being that, you know, if he's going to have a turnaround and start working out, and, you know, by the end of this chapter, he's basically in the best shape of his life, essentially. But there's no reason. He basically, it's all recap. He's re yeah, I was depressed. I was depressed. Then I started working out and I didn't really like it at first. But then after the two months, I, I kept doing it because I felt so good and I really needed to be in shape for my quest so I could run a lot. And like, so even in the end, like the thing that caused him to quote unquote turn his life around is the same thing that, that is basically like the, the message is saying that you're spending too much time in here, but then that's the thing that causes him to turn his, I don't know. I can't really tell if this book has a message and it's really blatant or if it's 
if this is all like a distraction because it's so blatant and the real message is something else or I mean I kind of get the sense that the book doesn't even know and I don't I don't really think it's that deep because m- the problem that I alluded to at the end of the last recording and didn't really explicitly say was that I, I think the characters some of the characters are so poorly developed like Miss Gilmore and the ant you know what what kind of arc did they have Miss Gilmore was around and one time he went and talked to Miss Gilmore and he said, yeah, she was a great trove of 80s information and now she's dead. My aunt was really mean to me and stole my laptop and now she's dead. Like, I I don't know. I feel like there was no arc whatsoever there. There was no learning moment for him. He doesn't seem to have even commented on it since. So a bunch of people died. Wade has doesn't care because I think he's a psychopath. (laughs) And here, like, the, you know, again, I, I don't know if it's the message of the book, like, is the opposite of what, what's being intended, or I, I really just, I just don't get what I'm, I feel like there's, the logic is all weird in this book. I, I feel like because it is a retelling of the events that happen here, that he kind of loses his form a little bit, because there's parts, like this chapter like you said, it feels like he was recapping him going through depression and now he's all better now. And he kind of skims over some of that. But then when he gets into, Oh, I'm an oasis and we went to this dungeon and we did all this and uh, we obtained this. And he goes into great detail with that stuff, but it's still supposed to be in a recap form, but you don't feel it because he's going into so much more detail in that. Yeah, it's just weird to me that if if one of the points, maybe the only point, but if one of the points is what you said, you know, hey, you need to spend time in the real life and you can't hide from your problems in a video game. If that's the message and this is the turning point where he says, I need to get my life around, he had no impetus for doing that. It just kind of one day he decided to turn his life around. That's it. That's that, that, that. Just not good characterization to me unless I'm missing something. Yeah, he just decided he wanted to go after the Jade Keat now. Yeah, and he needs to be able to run in the game, so he needs to be able to run in real life. Yeah, see, I, I, I don't know. If he, if he truly turned his life around, he would have been like, "Fuck this, I'm not going back into Oasis. Just find me a real job and live my life." Or yeah, I'll go. Or I'll go looking. hunt the Artemis. Yeah, stop, stop looking for, or, or you know, stop looking for this key and just you know, becoming every guy. Yeah, if he spent half the time trying to find Artemis, he could figure out who she is and where she lives and just go meet her. Yeah. So, I don't know. This this chapter, I, I really did not like all that much. I didn't either. Like, it, it just, it, it kind of came out of nowhere, and I was like, oh, we're really doing this? And I just kept reading and reading. I'm like, it just kept getting worse and worse. And I was like, yeah, I get it. And he's like, oh, I got a sex doll. And, it, like, that was like, really, dude? Are you... Are you, and it's like, I'm still a virgin. I was like, come on, man. We get it. Internet's bad. And I was just like, really? We're just, we're just going to keep going here. And I'm like this weird hairless freak who is, yep. and who's, I, like, who's in like perfect shape. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm just like, what? you know, and I don't know. I got, it's weird because this, this is very specifically like a. I don't want to say specific. I don't want to say very clearly that it's poor storytelling, but it, it's weird at the very least. 
and it's it's very much weird in relation to the character development. But a couple chapters from now, I feel just as bad, and it's on the other aspect of the book, which is sort of the the quest part. And so that's even stranger to me because it, if you want to say, look, it's not a book about character development. This is a book about 80s references and the quest. Yeah. You know, take it or leave it. You know, and then I might say, yeah, all right. I mean, yeah, Wade's a piece of shit, but I'll live with that because I want to know what happens in the story. You know, I want to know, you know, how the quest ends and whether they're successful. And I want to see, you know, I want to, I want to see that through to the end. But pretty soon, I feel just as weird about the way they handle the quest progression as I do about the character progression here. So I, I, I don't know. Okay, well, let's talk about the quest because um, he finally has a breakthrough. But the biggest thing is first is that um, somebody else finds the J key first. Uh, after months and months of everybody searching, uh, he checks the scoreboard one day, and look at this. Artemis has found the Jade Key. And not even, what, like, a few hours later, she's past the gate? Yep. And they also go into, so around the same time, they go into him moving into his asteroid. Yeah. So he, he created a base using the rest of his money that he had from endorsements. Uh, which is on an asteroid, um, and he's got all like everything loaded out and everything like that. Um, and they also go. He meets up with Daito and Shoto, and they go on their Ultraman quest. That's right. Yeah, and I I haven't found it yet, but I'm pretty sure that's going to come up eventually. Um. So yeah, they they go to do this long like basically a, a raid if you want to look in MMO terms, where they have to play through all the episodes of Ultraman. And um, they co-op it together, and uh, they get a relic, which is a very important item in Oasis, that uh, it basically turns them into Ultraman for three minutes, I think. Yeah, three minutes per day, right? Yeah. So Ultraman, if anybody who doesn't know... Uh, was uh, from Japan. It was like, uh, think of it kind of like Godzilla, where uh, giant monsters would attack a city, and Ultraman was the only one that could stop it. He was a superhero who could grow to be as giant as the buildings, and it was kind of like a human fighting against the giant monsters. So you can become giant for like three minutes and become like really powerful. And he decides to give it to Shoto, I believe. Or he, yeah. gives, he gives it to one of them. Yeah, I mean, he, he's kind of feeling bad because he has no friends. And he I think he says he just doesn't really need it. Yeah. And he knows that, you know, he says because it's a Japanese show and this belongs in the hands of a Japanese gunter. And, you know, I, I think he knows he's building up some goodwill by, by handing it over and saying, you guys deserve this. And there's one thing we should mention. I don't think we said that um, they're brothers, or at least that's what they were told. At least that's what they told everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, but after that, um, he's um, 
is it Artemis that get, finds it first? Yep, Artemis finds it first. Okay. Um. Yeah, because then they find like we figure out how the Sixers can pinpoint this shit. So that's when they start talking about relics. Uh, they're really powerful items in the game. There's only one that exists. Um, and there is a relic that allows the user to name somebody and it will pinpoint where they are. Now, if you're in the same sector as that person, it will tell you what planet they're on. If you're in the on the same planet as that person, it will tell you exactly where they are. Well, this artifact or relic has been in the hands of the IOI for years. And um, they have come around to saying, hey, we could use this once per day to uh, keep an eye out on the top gunters. And if they ever find a key or a gate, we can then search for them and figure out where they are. So when Artemis showed up on the scoreboard, they used the relic and they found out what sector she was in. So then all these Sixers start going to this sector. And that's when, oh look, everybody knows where they're going so they know what sector it's in. Uh, and that's when it hits Wade. I know exactly where this is. Because what he didn't realize was he was looking, he wasn't thinking about it. But uh, in a dwelling long neglected, uh, there is a old video game that has a rundown house. And it's a text adventure game called Zork. Um, and he realizes there is a planet in that sector that is just a recreation of Zork. And then it starts... Well, all- true, but before before we do this... so. If that's what had happened, I wouldn't have had the problem. So my, my problem is with the chapter that sits in between there, okay. which is um, there, there's a there's the planet called Arcade. Right. And he goes to Arcade and uh, because it's a museum full of old video games, he thinks there's trophies in there. Right, yeah. Now, and he ends you, up, you didn't like that? Well, no, th- this part I'm okay with. I'm okay with him going there. You know, he's following up on what he thinks is a lead. Turns out it's not right. Right. So he gets, he gets there. Uh, he plays, you know, I think he plays a bunch of games and he finds Jane, he finds Halliday's trophy collection, but he keeps trying to pull them off and he can't. He can't move them. So he says, all right, well, I guess these aren't the trophies, and I thought they were the trophies. So then as he's walking out, he stumbles upon a recreation of the, the pizza place. And yeah, then... That holiday. And then yeah, he, he yeah. frequented. Yep, and there's a Pac-Man machine inside, and there's a quarter stuck to it that he can't get off. Um, and, you know, there's something weird about the score. Like, it's higher than it should be, and the fact is that the game was unplugged, so... It shouldn't have been able to maintain the high score with it being unplugged. So because of the quarter and because of the weird score and the fact that it was still up there, he says, all right, I think this is this is a clue. I don't know if it's related to the Easter egg, but it's something I need to do. So he goes through and plays a perfect game of Pac-Man 
to win it. But so, you know, that's all fine. And that's how he, he ends up. Uh, yeah, he, th- he thinks he's going to get the Jade key here. He doesn't really get anything. He gets a quarter. Yeah, he gets the quarter in his inventory. But it, it seems weird to me that if if this does play in, actually, I don't remember now if it does play in. So far, in it has the, not played in. Right. Okay. So, but but they make a point of saying that he just stumbled upon this thing on his way out. Well, he took a different way out. Right. That he's, he's never fig- taken before. He's never but, taken before. Yeah. But if this is presumably the arcade and, you know, it's full of 80s games, this thing must have been swarmed for five years by other people. So how did nobody else find it? Don't know. So unless it turns out in the end of this book that Halliday's still alive and he's, like, manipulating the system to allow Wade to win, like, that that doesn't make any sense to me. Hmm. If If this is supposed to be a key part of the game and he just stumbles upon it, in a, a, a perfectly well-populated part of Oasis, and no one else has stumbled upon it, even though everybody's been there, that doesn't make any sense to me. Okay, for the record, you have not finished this book, so you don't know the ending. Yep, um, I have not read anything past the end of Level 2 or Part 2. Yeah. Um, but you may have figured out the the, the, the book. I don't know. I, I haven't finished it either, so uh, I don't know. Um but I get the great feeling that that quarter is going to play a part in this. Yep. Which the more important it is, the more annoyed I'll be if there's not a good explanation <laughs> for how he stumbled upon it. Yeah. Yeah. Because I mean, you can't, you can't just say, Oh yeah, he, you know, he, he just found it. You know, there's no explanation. He just found it. The, Random especially in a, yeah. Not, not in a book that's built around, the whole idea of this book is that the 80s knowledge is what's going to save you and get you out of every problem. And then this key piece, he just stumbles on it. Yeah. He doesn't, he doesn't figure anything out. Like, that would be ridiculous to me. But anyway, uh, back to what we were talking about. He goes to uh, the planet with uh, Zork. Yeah, because he finds out that H also has now earned the Jade Key. Yeah. And H uh, does a little tit for tat. Yeah, says, sends him a mm-hmm. message, yeah. Yep, you helped me with the Copper Key. Even though we haven't really been talking, we're not really friends at the moment, you know, consider my debt paid. Here's here's a clue to get to the Jade Key. And he sends a picture of the derelict building. Yep. So, um... Yeah. He goes and plays Zork. Uh, for those of you who don't know, Zork was one of the big popular text-based uh, games where you type, you know, go left, go right, go forward, that kind of thing. Have you ever played it? I have never played Zork. I have not either. I think I looked, I watched somebody play the first five minutes of it once. Yeah. And that was about it in high school. And I was like, oh, that looks, uh, that doesn't look like a game. <laughs> I used to play MUDs back in the day, um, multi-user dungeons, where there was multiple people in like a chat room, and you did that kind of thing. Mm. This, this was back in like, God, 
96. Was that with like a real storyline or was it just like role playing? There was a real storyline. Like it, it was an actual game. Oh, but, cool. but there was also other people in the chat and they could manipulate stuff too. So, um, but yeah, uh, he plays through Zork cause he didn't realize that Zork is, um, you have to collect trophies and put them in a trophy case inside the house, uh, which he does actually relatively quickly. He could, I think he said he could beat the game, what, 30 minutes or something like that. Yeah. Even though he only played it once a long, long time ago. Yeah. Uh, and also inside the house, he goes to the kitchen and look at that. There is a box of Captain Crunch there and there's the whistle. So collects all the trophies and then, uh, he blows the whistle and, uh, the whistle then turns into the J key. Yep. He unwraps it. Yeah. Cause it's, it's wrapped up in like a, uh, tin foil. Yep. And, uh, when he unwraps it, there's the Jade key. Um, now there is nothing on the Jade key. Am I correct? No, there's a very simple, uh, a very simple phrase. Uh, continue your, continue your quest by taking the test. Yep. Sorry, I'm, I'm going through the book as I'm recording this. And, uh, he doesn't exactly know what that means. Yeah, there have been a whole lot of tests. <laughs> yeah. So, um, at that point, I'm looking, I'm looking, I'm looking. At that point, it's also pretty crazy because the Sixers have figured out what planet to go to. Yeah. Um, and because of that, um, Shoto. Yeah. There's basically an all out war yeah. on, on the planet Frobaz. Um, uh, Dido dies. Yep. Yeah. Dido disappears off the scoreboard. Yeah. Uh, Rento and Shoto both get the Jade key and, and, claim their place on the leaderboards. Yeah. And, um, he's, the only thing he could think of is that Dido is dead. Yep. It's the only reason a, a name would be completely removed from the leaderboard. Right. So, um, is, does he talk to Shoto before going to the gate or not? Uh, yes, I think so. So a lot of things, like a lot of other people, you know, they make a point of saying, you know, things are happening faster now. All kinds of Sixers now have the Jade Key. All kinds of Gunters have the Jade Key. Uh, Sorrento's the first one to clear the second gate. And then all of the High Five get knocked out of the top 10 because all the Sixers follow Sorrento right. and crowd the top 10. And then and then even before he talks to Shoto, Sorrento gets the crystal key. So it really looks like things are, are speeding up towards the end at the moment. Right. So um, he's stumped on what to do next. 
He thinks it has something to do because the jade key was wrapped in some type of um, some type of uh, foil or paper, and he's kept both of it. Um, he doesn't understand what he needs to do as far as taking a test goes. Um, for the yes, yeah, then, then he talks to then he talks to Shoto. Yeah, that's and they have yeah heart to heart. Yeah. So Shoto uh, arrives at his little base, and um, they discuss, obviously, what happened. Um, when they arrived to play Zork, uh, the Sixers showed up as they were completing it. And um, uh, to hold off the Sixers, uh, Dido uses the... Uh, the capsule of uh, Ultraman and is fighting them off that way. He's basically indestructible for three minutes, which gives him long enough to, um, to, uh, for Shoto to escape. Um, but something bad happens. Um, his character just kind of stands there for a little while. And what he doesn't realize is is that something is happening to Dido in the real world. Uh, and uh, he sees on the local news that uh, a uh, otaku had committed suicide by throwing himself off of his out of his window. Uh, but he firmly believes that uh, IOI found out who he was and where he lived and went to his place and then threw him out of his window while he was playing the game. Um, do we know that for certain? Uh, I don't think we do. Right. Because Shoto even says that he never even met Daito, right? Yeah. So that's the other reveal is that uh, they're not actually brothers. They're not just, really. Yeah, they just pretended to be an oasis. And um, he never actually met the person. In fact, I th I'm pretty sure uh, Daito was in Japan while Shoto was actually American. He's a Japanese-American? Didn't he say that he moved to America with his mom? Uh, perhaps. So I don't remember that. But... They never actually... Um, they never actually, uh, yeah, met in real life. Mm. Yeah, and then basically because of the heart to heart, Shoto and and Wade become closer, and they reveal a bunch of personal stuff about each other. Yeah, um, Wade gives him a samurai sword, and basically Shoto says, "I'm no longer interested in finding the Easter egg." Yeah, I don't want revenge. And he also gives Wade the uh, the capsule for uh, yep. for um, Ultraman. So uh, after that, um, that's when uh, Wade has the breakthrough as far as where the gate is. And I'm sitting here looking at it.
I, it just reminds him of something. Says yeah, I was so once again. There was no real. There's no rhyme or reason to it. It's like I was eating some corn chips at the time, so I was using voice commands to operate the image analysis software. I instructed it to uh, demagnify the scan of the paper and center the image on my display. As I did this, it reminded me of a scene in Blade Runner where Harrison Ford's character Deckard uses a similar voice-controlled scanner to analyze a photograph. Yep, that's it. And he says, oh, this reminds me of the origami figures in Blade Runner. So he then whispers, the unicorn. And when he does, the piece of paper turns into a unicorn. Like a unicorn origami kind of thing. And that's when he realizes he needs to go and take a test. That test is from Blade Runner. And he knows that there is a a world that is pretty much a recreation of Blade Runner. Um, and uh, in order for him to uh, go there, he has a big firefight with a bunch of NPCs. Um, and kills them all and then takes the test, which is the test. I have never seen Blade Runner. What? Really? I've told you this, Matt. I, I don't believe it though. Yeah. You believe it. I have never seen Blade Runner. I mean, I know the story. Um, I've seen multiple clips of it. Um, so that is one thing I do not have under my belt is I've never seen Blade Runner. But I know pretty much everything that they're talking about. Uh, this test is to check to see if somebody is a replicant or not. Mm-hmm. Um, and there is one in the office of, I don't know what the name of the company is. The Terrell building? The Terrell, Terrell building, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, and he goes there and takes the test. Um, but it doesn't really necessarily, he doesn't have to take the test, I don't think. He just has to activate it. Yeah, because as soon as he does, then like the keyhole pops up, right? Yeah, and then he opens a doorway. It's on top of the desk that then takes him to a arcade. Another one from Halliday's childhood. And um, this arcade in particular um, has uh, a game called Black Tiger. Uh, he remembers. Uh, there was a picture on Halliday's website of his character, and in the background there was a poster for uh, Black Dragon, I think was what it was originally called in Japan. Yeah. And um, he's like, oh, I totally get that reference. It's actually Black Tiger, because that was one of his favorite games. Because uh, he said that he could play that game on one quarter and escape from his parents who were arguing and stuff like that. So he finds the... Well, he didn't actually find it. It it sucks him into it. Uh, See, I actually thought that was kind of a nice little tiny moment of characterization. Because it kind of, without beating you over the head, you know, shows you why Halliday might have been so into games at a young age. Yeah. You know, not that it's a terribly original reason, but at least they didn't belabor the point. And they said, hey, you know, he, he had a place that he went, you know, 
when he didn't want to be at home, his parents were fighting, he went there, you know, that reasonably would foster maybe a, a, an appreciation for the video games and would sort of build into Halliday's character. Right. So, you know, that, that that's actually a, a, a pretty nice, simple little way to to flesh out Halliday's character, but they, they seem to be so inconsistent with the way he does it. Right. So, um, the, the, the game itself, it's at a, uh, bowling alley and he is being sucked in like a black hole, uh, toward the cabinet for black tiger. Uh, and he's trying to, for some reason, hold on to a joystick to keep him from going inside. I don't know why. Um, but he yeah, finally, I mean, he's already inside the game, so yeah, he finally lets go and is sucked into Black Tiger. And uh, what he doesn't realize is is that it's not him just playing through Black Tiger. He has to play through Black Tiger while being inside of Black Tiger. So he has to basically, in first person, defeat everything that's rendered in three D. Yeah, so not like when he played Joust on an arcade cabinet. <laughs> yeah. Uh, which, let's see here. How they have faithfully recreated every detail of Black Tiger's eight-level dungeon. Uh, I'm trying to think of how long it took him to finish it. I managed to clear all eight levels of the game in just under three hours. So it took him three hours to beat Black Tiger. Uh, when he did, he was ejected from the game, and he's standing in front of it, and it allows him to choose a companion. Um, so, like, select your character kind of thing. And I'm going to name off some of the characters he mentions here. There were several robots I didn't recognize, but were, so most were familiar. Spotted Gigantor, uh, Transor Z, the Iron Giant, Jet Jaguar, the Sphinx-headed giant robo from Johnny Sacco, and his flying robot. The entire Shogun Warrior toy line. Uh, many mechs from Maycross and Gundam. Uh, Eleven icons were grayed out and had a red X over them, but these and these robots could not be identified or selected. Uh, I knew that they must be the ones that taken by Sorrento and the other Sixers who had already cleared the gate before me. Uh, so he chose, um, uh, Leopardon or Leopardon, 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 sure. Leopardon, or it could be Leopardon, uh, the giant transforming robot used by, uh, Stupa, Stupa Stupa Man, which is an arcade, <laughs> a spider man who appeared in Japanese. So it's Spuda Man. Spooyadaman. I don't know how you pronounce that. Spooyadaman. Um So he chose uh, Leopardon, which then makes me think they've changed that in the movie. Because in the movie, I clearly see him walking around the Iron Giant. Mm. Although, that may not be him. Maybe somebody else chose the Iron Giant. But I definitely see the Iron Giant in the trailer. Yeah, there very well could be a robot showdown. Yeah. Maybe a ro robot roll call? <laughs> Probably. I'm sure I'll see Gundam Wing in there somewhere. Um, but yeah, after that, he then uh, gets basically a voucher for this robot. 
And, um, or not a voucher, it's actually like a model robot. I'm sure he'll be using it soon. Um, but after that, he, uh, closes the gate. Um, and, trying to find what it says here. Yeah, so there's the, the link is the, the symbol. So I think after he picks the robot, there's a little circle, a red circle, red pointed circle. Right. It shows up on the screen and he realizes that, you know, that here's the link to the next sort of big 80s reference. So it turns out that that's uh, the same logo that's on Rush's classic sci-fi themed album, 2112. Right. And he talks a lot about Rush, about their albums. He listens to all of them, stuff like that. Uh, Tony tells title track is an epic seven-part song over 20 minutes in length. The song tells the story of an anonymous rebel living in the year 2112, uh, a time when creativity and self-expression had been outlawed. Uh, see, the red star on the album's cover was a symbol for the Solar Federation, the oppressive interstellar society of the story. Uh, let's see here. It's the story. I like how it's the story is all within that one song. Uh, yeah. The Solar Federation was controlled by a group of priests who are described in part two of the song titled The Tempest of Synrix. Uh, the lyrics told me exactly where the crystal key was hidden. We are the priests of the Temple Sinrix. Our great computers fill the hallowed halls. We are the priests of Temple Sinrix. All the gifts of life are held within our walls. Uh, there was a planet in Sector 21 named Syrix, and that was where I was headed now. So he goes to this rocky world, kind of like a desert rock kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, sure enough, there is a temple there. Uh that has the symbol that he's looking for on it. Um, he has to go off somewhere else, though. Yeah, I think he's basically using the lyrics as kind of like a road map. Yeah. And he finds out that there's a cave hidden behind a waterfall. Right. That's uh, from part three, which is called Discovery. Behind my beloved waterfall in the little room that was hidden beneath the cave, I found it. I brushed away the dust of years and picked it up, holding it reverently in my hands. I had no idea what it might be, uh, but it was beautiful. I learned to lay my fingers across the wires and turn uh, the keys to make them sound differently. As I struck the wires with my other hand, I produced my first harmonious sounds and soon my own music. So he is looking for a guitar that is behind a waterfall in a little room in a cave. And sure enough, uh, he finds a waterfall and a cave, and there lies like the sword in the stone, Excalibur itself, a, uh, a Gibson Les Paul, um, that was used by Alex Lyson during the twenty one twelve tour. Um, so this this scene reminds me a lot of. The scene where he fights a Sirak and, and challenges him to the joust battle and goes through that sort of tomb of horrors. Because it, it feels like to me that these like big scenes that are based around specific 80s things are sort of what this book 
was based around. It feels to me like a series of interesting, dreamlike meldings of 80s references. And then the rest of the story with Artemis and his loneliness is just like the gap areas between these scenes that are like the pillars of this book. To me, th- th- this scene, like, it was pretty cinematic. Like, it was really cool. It, it seemed a little bit random. Um, but was sort of almost like a cool recreation of something from the 80s. Right. So, like, this whole, it, it doesn't feel like a dungeon like Tomb of Horrors does, but, you know, if you call this a, a, a scene or a dungeon, it's like a, it, it's a reimagining of something from the 80s. I mean, maybe, maybe the whole Zork thing was as well, but they don't really go into a lot of what he did while he was playing Zork. Yeah. Like how he collected the trophies and stuff like that. Yeah. But, but here they do, they kind of go through, oh, there's an altar. He needed something to put on it. He goes behind the waterfall, gets the guitar. So they kind of go step by step through this as they did sort of through the tomb of horrors, uh, until the fight of a Sarek. So it really seems like, it sounds like the last crusade when he's going through all the trials. Yep. But just as far as the book is structured, it's, it's like, in these certain scenes, it really slows down and he goes through every single step. That's what I've been saying this whole time yep. is that it yep. feels like he's recapping everything except in certain parts where he's getting into real big detail. Yeah. Which to me seems like maybe he wrote these scenes first and these were like the reason he wanted to write the book. Oh, uh, what if I recreated eighties scenes? Like, you know, what if somebody could live through these eighties things? Right. And, and that maybe that was what was really cool. And then he's like, ah, oh, shit, what do I do with the rest of this? Yeah. And some story to tie this stuff together. I'm not saying that's how it happened, but that's what it feels like to me. Oh, yeah. So um, there's something here that he does that's different from what he thinks everybody else has done. So far, he is the – is he the only person besides the Sixers that has found the crystal key, or did Artemis find it too? Uh, I believe – so I don't think he's actually quite found it yet. So I think it's just uh, Sorrento, and then I think he's the second one to find it. Okay. So, um, but there's something that he does that he knows that Sorrento probably didn't do because what he was, what you have to do is take the guitar back to the temple, and then that's where you get the crystal key. And what yep. he what he thinks was Sorrento probably just took it directly to the temple and got the crystal key and that was it but he decided to take his time he was holding this great guitar in his hand and decided since he knows how to play guitar he was going to play a little bit and so he played some uh some of the uh music from discovery which was the song that led him to this guitar uh and he said when after he finished playing the first measure he said uh briefly uh there was a message that was carved into stone um uh, that popped up. It appeared for just a few seconds. And the message says, the first was ringed in red metal, the second in green stone, the third is clearest crystal and cannot be unlocked alone. Uh, and he said, in seconds, the words vanished, fading from the stone, along with the strings of the last note I played on the guitar. I quickly snapped a, f- a screenshot of the riddle and already tried to sort out the meaning, but it was... Uh, about the third gate, of course, and how it cannot be unlocked alone. So, uh, yeah. So basically, now I, I think everybody does have that third key, crystal yeah. key. 
It says here, oh, when did- I reached out and picked up the key, a chime sounded, and my score, the scoreboard increased by 25,000 points, 25, points and added to 200,000 I received for clearing the second gate. That brought my total up to 353,000 points, 1,000 points more than Sorrento. I was back in first place. So there you go. Uh, so he received the crystal key after uh, putting uh, th- putting the uh, guitar on the altar. Uh, let's see here. So I didn't see any words etched on the key, but I did find a small monogram etched into the center of the key's crystal handle, a single calligraphic letter A that I recognized immediately. The same A that appeared on the character symbol box on James Holiday's first Dungeons and Dragons character sheet. Hmm. So uh, that's when he realizes he knows where the gate is. Yep. A for Anorak, right? Anorak, yeah. And there is an entire planet devoted to recreating Halliday's Dungeons and Dragons world. And uh, there is also a large castle there called Castle Anorak, uh, which now is completely surrounded by Gunters and Sixers because everybody knows where it's at now. Um, yeah. Yeah, so this is pretty close to where this section ends, but it ends just a little bit on a sour note where, you know, the Gunters and the Sixers have beaten him there and apparently the Sixers have another super incredibly powerful magical artifact called the Orb of Asuvox. Yeah. And basically it can be, you know, it's this impenetrable force field that as long as the wizard stays there holding it with both of his hands, nobody can penetrate it. Right. So once again, they're using a powerful artifact to keep people from getting in. And possibly get into the gate. So that's where we stop. Level three is right after that. Yeah, in the end of the book. Yep. Which we will be discussing next week. But we do have an email. I'd like to uh, bring that up. Uh, this one comes in from Jamie. It says, hi guys. I So I accidentally finished the book. I tried, to, I tried, yeah, I tried to stop at chapter twenty-six, but it just wasn't happening. I'll try not to talk about the plot too much in this email, so I don't ruin anything. But I wanted to address a few things you talked about last week. I agree with you both. Uh, there are definitely flaws in this book, but I find that I enjoy it despite them. It's no award-winning novel, but I still love reading it. In fact, I almost never reread books. This might be the second time I've completely reread a book. And I think I enjoyed it as much as I did the first time, if not more. I have to disagree a little on the world building, though. You guys mentioned that it was hard to believe that the world was so terrible and people spent their times in Oasis instead of trying to fix it. But isn't that what humanity does? We do our best to ignore the world's problems until they are too far gone. You mentioned that it was... You mentioned that if uh, Gregorius Simulation Systems is so rich, why don't they do anything about it? It's not all that far-fetched, if you ask me. We're reading a book that's getting made into a movie for millions of dollars, and people will go to pay 15 to $20 a piece to go see it. 
uh, grossing more millions of dollars, but people are still starving and poverty levels are already high. We play video games that we spend sometimes outrageous amounts of money on just to enjoy ourselves and escape for a while. That's what we do. Faced with a world that seems like it's even more bleak than the one we live in now, I'm not surprised that people have become despairing and decide to spend their lives making themselves happy instead of trying to save the world. Even Wade says that he'd rather uh, leave the planet than try to fix it. I can see people using the Oasis as an escape, like a drug even. Maybe it's a pessimistic way to look at it, but I think it is believable. Anyways, let's lighten the mood. Someone, either in an email or on Twitter, has said that it would be impossible for a person to memorize a whole movie line for line. I disagree. I can think of at least a few few movies that I would I would absolutely attempt, especially if I got bonus points that gave me hints, as Wade got in the first gate. Totally doable. I think it's more likely that he managed to master every single game that seems to come up in, in the story. There are definitely some eye-roll parts of the book where Wade just happens to have spent months playing that particular game. Uh, there, are really, there really are a crazy amount of references in the story, and I understand some people finding that distracting or taking away from the story. But when I went a bit overboard last email, I was uh, retaliating to all the hate the book slash movie has been getting. Uh, since the trailer came out. This is not everyone's story, but that doesn't mean it's terrible. Uh, sometimes I wish people would let other people enjoy stuff. There's not a single movie quote. Has it been getting hate? I I, 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 I really haven't avoided it until now. I may watch it because you, you seem to keep saying that it's not going to spoil anything, but I hadn't heard anything really, I guess, positive or negative about it other than, hey, the trailer's out there. Yeah. Uh, she said, P.S. Okay, one movie reference. Couldn't help myself. The other day I picked up the phone and my daughter said, who are you going to call? And without hesitation, my son yelled Ghostbusters. Raising, raising them right. <laughs> well, thank you for that email. Um, I don't want to sound like I'm not enjoying this book. And I feel like I sound like that. Yeah, me too. I feel like most of what I've talked about are the things that I don't like. But uh, oh, I do like the book. I, I think it's... I think it's it's certainly a unique way to tell a story. Uh, I think that building a book around these sort of mysteries and quests is is sort of a kind of a good backbone to to make a story around whatever the setting is, whatever the you know references were going to be. I mean, it's almost like a you know take an Agatha Christie book. There's a murder. You know that the book's going to play out as a murder mystery, so you're not really bothered by the fact that there's, you know, there's misdirections and red herrings and whodunits. And then in the end, there's a big reveal. I mean, that's just kind of the way that type of book is structured. And, you know, that, that that's what it is. It's, it's a murder mystery book. It's simple. And this, you know, it's pretty clear from the start, the way it's based on three keys, that you're going to go on this long quest. And, you know, the three keys, the three gates. So the fact that it's adhering to that, I think, makes gives it kind of a strong backbone. Yeah. To where, yeah, we know there's going to be some mystery. We're th- we know that it's going to tie into these 80, 80s references. And, uh, you know, that's a, I think that's a pretty solid foundation for a book like this. Yeah. I, you know, I, I am enjoying it a lot. I mean, it was hard for me to stop reading, but I was like, I need to stop because I won't remember, you know, wh- how everything went out. And I still don't remember because I'm not good at that stuff. But, yeah, I mean, I'm not hating the book. It's just that. I feel like there's a few things 
Ernest Klein is doing, there's obviously a lesson learned here. And I'm sure we're going to get it a lot in the, the final act. Um, I just, um, I don't know, like, there's better ways to convey that. Um, I, I don't like being force fed stuff. Um, and he does it in different ways. So he's, he's force feeding the lesson, which is, you know, sometimes get off the internet, get, you know, live your life. Uh, and then he's also force feeding information. Like in the first act of the book, there was multiple chapters that was just info dumps. And I was just like, I get it. You're, you're trying to establish some lore, but you're just now getting interesting. You know, like, like the, the story itself, would it be, would have, would this story have been better told if it was told in the third person and not first person? Yeah, it's tough, tough to say. I mean, on a quest like this, I almost want to say first person's a good default because you know, you're more in line with feeling the discoveries as he discovers them. But, I mean, I guess had it been third person, you could have maybe played a little bit more chess with moving people around. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I don't know either. But, I mean, I'm immensely enjoying the book. I, I like it a lot, you know. This is the first book I've read in seven years, and I honestly, when I pick it up, I kind of can't put it down. So I'm excited to see how the book ends. I, I'm, I'm all in as far as like this book. I mean, I bought his second book. It's sitting right here next to the other one. So I'm going to read it too. Uh, we'll see how his writing style changes if it does. Because there's four years in between Ready Player One and Armada. And I've already had a few people tell me, hey, Armada is a different book. So, um, and I've I've had other people say that you might want to take some time before you start Armada kind of thing. Um, There's also another thing uh, that I, uh, I got a private message. I think it was from Fixer. Who was telling me, um, hang on a second. Oh, oops. On Twitter here. Yeah. Uh, Fixer said, um, uh, he asked if I'd finished Rudder Player One. Yeah, I was like, not yet. And it's like, oh, when you do, there's another short chapter written by Andy Weir or Ware as fanfic, but Ernest Klein made it canon. Read it after you finish the book. Also, if your copy doesn't have it, there's a link to it, and he sent a link to it. So there is a final chapter written by another person, which Ernest Klein liked it so much that he decided to make it canon. Oh, cool. So sort I of like a, like a post credit scene. <laughs> probably. I don't know. But uh, I will definitely give that a read as well, and we can discuss it on the next, uh, on the next show. Uh, I'll link you to this, Matt. And if anybody out there wants it, I will link... Uh, I'll just put it, just keep an eye on my Twitter and I will link to it and, um, everybody can take a look at it. Oh, good. So Andy also for, for reference is the guy that wrote the Martian. 
that they made the movie with Matt Damon. Oh, okay, cool. Which actually is the my most read book in the last few years. I've read that book three times already. Uh, you know, I, I love I love that sarcastic protagonist. It's a, it's a fantastic quick read. If anybody wants another book to read, that's not uh, not this one. Okay, I have yet to see the movie, so. Movie's okay. It's good. Book's better, but. Gotcha. But yeah, that's it for us. Uh, we're done with uh, level two of Ready Player One. Uh, if you'd like to send an email, it's drew at ztgd.com. Uh, definitely send some emails. Um, you can spoil all you want to in the next email because we're going to finish this book up. Um, and uh, give your give us your thoughts on Ready Player One. Obviously, people love this book. I've had nothing but tons of you know feedback talking about how great the book is so um let me know your thoughts on it as a whole uh talk about that trailer they released that one trailer uh everybody yeah i'll I'll watch it before the next recording yeah give it a watch i mean it's like two minutes you know and honestly if you watch it i showed ken the trailer and he's like what the fuck's this movie about because honestly there's nothing there's no plot whatsoever in the trailer so um but yeah, uh, you can also tweet to us. I'm at DML Fury. Matt is at REMGS, and the podcast itself is at ZTGD Phoenix Down. Uh, but that's it for us. And um, yeah, finish this up. Matt, are we still probably doing Bowser's Inside Story after this? Yeah, that would be great, as I don't have any TVs or video game systems other than. A Vita and a DS until my belongings arrive. Okay, then. So we can go ahead and lock that in. We're going to be doing Bowser's Inside Story. Mario, 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 Mario. Bowser's Inside Story on the DS, uh, which is uh, an RPG. Um, I've played it once. I don't think I beat it. It was a long time ago. And I don't remember anything of it except that we go inside Bowser's body. So, uh, but yeah, that's it for us. Uh, I appreciate everybody listening. Uh, we'll be back next week, but until then, I am Drew. And I'm Matt. And we're out of here. You guys have a great one. And we'll be back with the conclusion of Ready Player One. Sweepstakes winner. I've been looking forward to... No! No! Hey!